morning and good coffee, everybody. Hey, it's time for some morning coffee with Larry, and I am glad that you are here to join with me today. Get your coffee ready and take a big sip. We are in June, June 1st, 2020. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. (laughs) I love summer. I enjoy summer. Uh, I can do things, more things in summer. I don't have to constantly wear muck boots around the farm because it's drier. But summer goes so fast, and then I have to spend the rest of the year waiting for summer to come around. Does any of you do that? <laughs> oh, but here we are, June 1st, and we are going to continue. Oh, before I go any further, when I start up my um, Anchor.fm uh, uh, website thing for doing the recording, I saw something that was kind of exciting. Uh, it gives me statistics, and when I turned it on, the number of downloads for this podcast was 10,001. That's kind of cool. That's cool. We're now into five digits. I know there's some podcasts, they get that in an hour, but you know, I'm just a little guy over here trying to uh, share some words of experience and in wisdom to, to help people in their everyday life and have fun doing it. So uh, I'm tickled, though. 10,000. That's kind of (laughs) neat. But we are continuing today in our um, series on forgiving. And it's kind of neat. I've had a couple of people that are listeners contact me and uh, say that this is timely for them. And I'm glad. I'm very glad. It's a subject that, you know, I cover every now and then, and it needs to be covered because forgiveness is a hard thing. Um, I lived with an unforgiving spirit till I was in my later 20s and had a, a situation that was just too big to ignore, too big to deal with. And I had to deal with it differently. And so uh, forgiveness has been a passion of mine. Um, so that's um, that, That's one of the reasons for uh, kind of addressing it here for a few days. Um, I also had a request to uh, uh, do some work with uh, PTSD. And, uh, you know, some folks, they think that post-traumatic stress is just you know, military. And that's a common misconception because it does hit very hard and strong in, you know, when you're talking about military combat. But, you know, the reality is it's the the defining criteria <clears throat> is that a, a, a person goes through a trauma. And that can be life-threatening trauma to you, life-threatening trauma to somebody else and you witnessed it. It can be physical assault. It can be sexual assault. It can be domestic violence. It can be a host of different kinds of things uh, that, that qualify as a trauma as it's defined. And then the, the consequences of it, the, the reactions, the changes, uh, kind of fall into four major categories. And that includes uh, intrusive thoughts, uh, avoidance, negativity, and hyperarousal. 
And that's all the further I'm really going to get today because that's not our show for today. But uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. And I'm also, I'll be including also, if I can remember, what I call instead of traumas, overwhelming life experiences. Because a lot of times something um, does not meet the defined criteria of trauma, but everything else is exactly the same. And it's because sometimes there's things that hit us uh, that maybe we could have dealt with if it was, you know, just a one-time occurrence, but it kept happening over and over again. And maybe we could have handled it if we were in a better place in our lives, but we weren't. And all of a sudden now this is having a much more powerful effect on us than what one would generally think. But Anyway, that's going to be previews of upcoming attractions. Today, we're going to get back to these three stages in the book, The Art of Forgiving. And the first stage, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, recovering, passing, uh, you know, through these stages to get to the pro- to a deep process of forgiving, the first one was uh, rediscovering the humanity of the person who hurt us. Uh, and today we're going to be covering, we surrender our right to get even. And then tomorrow we revise our feelings towards the person we forgive. But let's get into this surrendering our right to get even. Or what I typically say in, in therapy sessions is uh, our right to re- surrendering our right to retaliation. <clears throat> so in the book here, uh, Lewis B. Smeads, the author, he writes, After we have been wronged and wounded in the bargain, been swindled, cheated, abused, or demeaned, no human right seems more sacred than the right to get even with the scab who wronged us. We want to get back at him, make him feel at the very least as much pain as he made us feel. Nothing could be fairer or taste so sweet or seem more deserved. They're going to get it we heard Richard Nixon grumble on his vengeful tapes. I think the ancient Greek poet Homer was smacking his lips when he drooled about revenge. It tastes so sweet, he said. We swirl it around on our tongues and let it drip like honey down our chins. We want our enemy to suffer, yes, but we want him to to know that he is suffering only because of what he did to us. We don't want him to admit he made a mistake, flip an apology in our direction like a 50-cent gratuity, and go on as if he had done nothing worse than burping before dessert. We want the satisfaction of watching him turn and burn with hellish leisure on the rotisserie of his remorse. As we move along a step or two along the path of forgiving, we hold the right to to vengeance in our two hands. Take one last longing look at it and let it spill to the ground like a handful of water with good riddance. But take care. When you give up vengeance, make sure you're not giving up on justice. The line between the two is faint, unsteady, and fine. What is the difference between the two? Vengeance is our own pleasure at seeing someone who hurt us, getting it back, and then some. 
Justice, on the other hand, is secured when someone pays a fair penalty for wrongdoing another, for wronging another, even if the injured person takes no pleasure in the transaction. Vengeance is for personal satisfaction. Justice is more moral accountability. Forgiving surrenders the right to vengeance. It never surrenders the claims of justice. Therein lies a key distinction. After John, Pope John Paul forgave a man who shot at him, a journalist commended, One forgives in one's heart, in the sight of God as the Pope did, but the criminal still serves his time in Caesar's jail. Very true. Human forgiveness does not do away with human justice, nor divine justice. Consider the Bible's book of Numbers. The Lord is slow to anger, forgiving iniquity and transaction, transgressions, but by no means clearing the guilty. We sometimes get close to justice, but we never bring closure to vengeance. In the exchange of pain, the accounts are never balanced. The reason is simple. When I am on the receiving end, the pain you caused me always feels worse to me than the pain I cause you. When I'm on the giving end, the pain I cause you never feels as bad as the pain you cause me. This is why famous family feuds go on to the third and fourth generation. Vengeance, by its nature, cannot bring resolution. And when you get down to it, most of our getting even happens only in our private fantasies. That fact adds a safety catch to vengeance. Our opponent feels no pain when we attack him in our dreams. But meanwhile, our fantasies become a catheter dripping a spiritual poison into our systems. I cannot resist telling my own version of a story that John Irving tells in trying to save Piggy Sneed about uh, trying to save Piggy Sneed about the sweet futility of revenge. It's about how Maggie Mausma tried to get even with A. Paul Sider. Maggie and A. Paul attended Cromwell College, a respectable Presbyterian Center of Evangelical Learning in upstate New York. Just a second. Mm. Maggie was wiggling her way towards recognition as a desirable fresh person, while A. Paul swaggered as a seasoned senior with a calling to stimulate the hopes of pretty girls like Maggie. A. Paul had walked Maggie home from the library one night and before saying goodnight, kissed her deeply a few times, leaving her in a delirium of hope. A week or so later, he burst in on her and moaned a dreadful confession. He just learned that he had syphilis and that she probably had caught it from him, so she should hustle over to the campus infirmary and get herself some antibiotics before the infection spread too far to cure. It took a week for Maggie's fear of a horrible death to get the better of her dread of exposure. She showed up the next Monday morning at the student health center. The nurse who had seen who had seen even sillier student tricks than this one in her time assured her that she could not get syphilis by being kissed and that she was the fifth girl this month who thought she had caught it from the tip of A. Paul's tongue. 
a klutz in communicable diseases, Maggie rated an A-plus in retaliation. First, she posted urgent messages on the bulletin board in the student comments. A. Paul Sider has syphilis. Next, she put it in the local paper, three inches of white space bordering in thick black with the same message in capital letters, A. Paul Sider has syphilis. And as the sleepy arrivals walked to the commons area early Monday morning, their eyes were opened by five bedsheets sewn into a fluttering white banner tied between Doric columns of the front portico with crimson letters painted three feet high and 25 feet across. A. Paul Sider has syphilis. The sweetness of having stuck it to him was the closest she had ever gotten to ecstasy. There was one catch. A. Paul, though, wanting, wanting in finesse, did have money and good connections at the local airport. Just before halftime, at the next football game, a classic biplane rattled over the playing field, trailing a bigger-than-usual banner with the words, Maggie Mousma has a filthy disease. Now what? Hire a hitman? And what would we get for our efforts if we did get even? We would get just about what we would get if an uncle we all thought was rich died and left us a tax-encumbered, earthquake-crack, ramshackle monster of a mansion that we can't afford to fix and can't afford to tear down. Surrendering our right to get even is the surrender of a very bad pain in the neck. Imagine poor Atlas surrendering his right to carry the whole world on his back. Some right. Some surrender. Vengefulness. Bitterness. Anger. (sighs) Yeah, bad things happen. The interesting thing that uh, the author brings out here is the notion that the pain we feel when we are wronged feels so much worse than the pain we inflict on others. And you know what? When you're in the middle of inflicting pain on others, you you can feel a sense of ecstasy. You can feel a high. You can feel an excitement. You're getting back. But now, what's happening to the other person? And are they just going to take it? Just like in that story. I love that movie from the 80s, War Games, with Matthew Broderick and I forget the gal's name, but uh, they uh, they start playing a game unintentionally with a military uh, computer that does simulations of nuclear war. And they're trying to uh, keep this computer from treating a game as reality and launching nuclear missiles. And so they get the computer playing tic-tac-toe against itself. And then it starts playing the simulated war games against itself. 
and there's never survivors. You know, all you have is horrible, ca- horrific casualties worldwide. And finally, at the end, the computer says in its computer voice, uh, something along the line of, interesting game. The best decision is not to play. Yeah. The best decision when it comes to vengeance is not to play. A few years ago, they had, I think it was on the History Channel, a miniseries on the Hatfields and the McCoys. People died. Communities were torn apart because of vengefulness, unforgiveness, taking pride in not forgiving. And it continued for generation after generation after generation. You know, the guy talks about the fine line between vengeance and justice. I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened over the weekend with the riots. We don't know the full story of the starting incident. We don't. We don't know everything about it. We just know what we're told. And people are making inferences based on, you know, what they hear, what they see, what they believe. That's how we do in everything. And at the very least, I guess you could say, There's out-of-control vengeance. But the interesting thing is the vengeance is bled over to people who were not involved in the incident. And there's different reasons why people are doing different things. Some people see it as you know, refreshing a wound and extracting vengeance for what they have personally experienced. Others are doing it not because of anything that they have personally experienced, but they're jumping on the bandwagon of borrowing other people's experiences and then extracting revenge in their name. And what's accomplished? Some people, and I've watched some video shots that people have put out there on Facebook or on TikTok or on wherever. And you got a lot of excited not distressed people that are doing all kinds of damage, attacking people in vehicles that just happen to be on the wrong street, um, pulling people out of car windows and attacking them. Uh, 
putting themselves in harm's way whenever a panicked motorist who's being attacked and the windows on their vehicles are being broken takes off driving? What does any of this accomplish? I heard a, uh, a uh, uh, black store owner up in Minneapolis with tears in his eyes and unbelievable frustration and shock in his voice as he yells to the crowd, why are you doing this? His store, destroyed. It's destroyed. His livelihood, destroyed. He made it through the shutdowns of the pandemic only to have it destroyed for what reason? What did he do wrong? What did he do wrong? And you could say, well, what did the person who was killed do wrong? I don't know. I don't know. It could have been absolutely nothing. It could have been something. Was it worth a death? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But that is where vengeance, unforgiveness, that is what a person is living with, what they will do then is, I'm angry here, so I'm going to take out there. It's wrong. It's wrong. And I don't buy into the excuse of just pent-up anger. We have have to take responsibility for our own emotions. If we're going to excuse that, should we excuse other things in other situations? If a person is picked on, abused, taken advantage of, belittled by their boss, should they come home? and take that out on their spouse or on their children? No. Should they take it out on their neighbor? No. When people are posting in social media, we're going to loot the mall, meet there at 3 o'clock, and it happens? It's craziness. We can have that same craziness on a personal level, in our own personal lives, with stuff that we hold on to and fantasize about vengefulness. Yeah. It's a poison. Vengefulness is a poison. Unforgiveness is a poison that's killing us. And in our death throes, it winds up hurting other people. And they can't understand why. They can't make sense out of it. Just like that man up in uh, Minneapolis I just mentioned. He can't make sense out of it. Why was he? personally attacked in his business destroyed oh i love where i saw a comment 
well, you can he can get a new store because they stick it to his insurance company. Most insurance company policies, property policies, they do not cover certain things. You know, it's kind of like if you have a flood, they don't cover flood. You have to buy flood insurance for that. Most insurance policies for business or for for your property does not cover civil unrest. So they destroyed a man financially. They destroyed him for nothing. That's the bleed over consequence of unforgiveness. If you struggle with unforgiveness, please realize you may not be looting a mall or torching a business. But guess what? What's the impact that it's having on the people around you? What's the impact? You got to take ownership of it. You may not have caused it, but you're the one sitting in. You got to deal with it. You got to deal with it. All right, that's it for today. Next time, we will continue with the third phase, revising our feelings. Until then, enjoy the rest of your coffee. Have a great start to your day, and we will see you next time right here. Bye-bye.